Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Stick with me. I'm going to try and unpack a verse, but I need to lay a bit of a, a groundwork on, yes, on this verse so that you get the whole, the full context, really, of what I'm going to preach about. And tonight's sermon is going to be about fellowship. And we'll put that slide up just now. Fellowship. Where's that beautiful little slide? Fellowship. There you go. And I'm sure you've heard so many preachers about this, about fellowship, and what is it and what isn't it. But I want to go right back to the Word, and I want us to look together in the Word of God. Before we start, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Your Word is alive. Your Word is a two-edged sword. And I do pray that tonight Your Word will cut that it will cut between bone and marrow, between soul and spirit, like you promised, Lord. And we thank you, Father God, that you are the one that meticulously will cut tonight, like a scalpel. Those things that are not of you, that it will be cut away. Those things that are not of you, Father God, that we will forget those things. And we will be reminded again tonight about your truth, about your word, about who you are and how you see fellowship according to the Word of God. We thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Are you all there? In uh, 1 John chapter 1, so I'm going to read it from this one. It's working again. Thank you, Jesus. That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, and if you're making notes in your Bible, you can underline that word heard, which we have seen, you can underline that one as well, with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. In other words, concerning Jesus. Here's a little parenthesis, a little hockey, a little, little bracket. It's, it's, a, it's like this thought here chucked in the middle between verse 1 and verse 3. It's very interesting. Verse 2, the life was made manifest. This is, this is about Jesus. It sounds very much like John, hey, like John chapter 1. <laughs> the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it <laughs> and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Verse 3. That's which we have seen, underline that again, and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I want to read it to you from the Amplified, verse 3. It says this, what we have seen and ourselves heard, we are also telling you so that you too may realize and enjoy fellowship as partners and partakers with us. That's part of the concept of fellowship, partnership and partakers. And, to, and this fellowship that we have, which is distinguished, is a distinguished mark of Christians, it, it says in the Amplified, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I'm going to talk about that first part in the, in the verse that says, what we have seen and heard. And you see that 
actually mentioned twice. In verse 1, you see it the other way around, and you see it in verse 3 again. Usually when you do any Bible study and you see things that are actually mentioned again, you've got to ask yourself the question, why? Why is this mentioned twice in the same portion of Scripture? And it's very important because John is trying to make a point. He's trying to show us something. He's linking verse 1 and verse 3 by repeating this statement about seeing and hearing Christ. Okay, so in actual fact, he, he puts the reverse order there. John Calvin says this about this repetition. He says this, that nothing might be wanting as to the real certainty of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. In other words, he says that there's no doubt that all that we see and hear must be about Jesus. That's what he's saying to us. He's saying you, there's no doubt what we have seen and what we've heard. And he says what you have seen and what, and this is the amazing thing. And as I was preparing, what are the things that we are seeing and what are the things that we are hearing? Those are the two senses that are mostly under attack right now. Right now in this world, the things that we see and the things that we hear you can listen to podcasts ad infinitum, actually ad nauseum. Okay, if you don't know what that means, to the point of just vomiting. Okay, you can listen to all these things. We can see and hear so many things, but is it the truth? Is it about Jesus? What are we seeing? What is the doctrine, the pure understanding, the certainty? And it continues as one who had personally seen and heard, this is John, he, is person, he says, I've personally seen the eternal one. John again assures the reader that this testimony is absolutely reliable. In verse 1, 2, and 3, John is just making sure that you all know, I have seen, I've beheld him, I saw him. And what I'm telling you right now is the truth. I've often shared my testimony to people. And I've shared it with hardened atheists. And they look at you and they think that this is weird, but you have built a relationship with this person. And they look at you and they kind of go, I cannot refute what you're saying because this is real to you. This is a story that you're telling me, but you, you know, you're not a nana, you know? you know? I can see you're not a nana, but you're telling me the story about Jesus and what he has done for you. That story... That testimony, no one, no one can refute that. It happened. Now you can say, oh, it's chance. So, I don't know if I want to go out on that, on that limb of, of chance. It's not like you threw a dice and like, hey guys, Leon, come gooi die dice and kijk of het werk. It's not. It's, that's faith. <laughs> Did it build your faith? Because it built my faith. Because it's truth. What you have seen and what you have heard, it's building something, okay? Charles Spurgeon says, you see, see how the apostle John does hammer this nail as if he drives it fast. He says, can you see that he is making this point about what you see and what you hear? Okay, 
John is saying this in layman's terms. He's saying, I tell you the truth. It's all about Jesus. That's what John is saying. He says, I tell you the truth, my brothers. It's all about Jesus. So I want to look at these two concepts of what we have seen and what we have heard. Because it's very important. So the word seen is from the Greek word horao, which is H-O-R-A-O. And it means it refers not merely to the uh, act of seeing. Like, I'm seeing you now. It's, it's more than that. Okay. But also conveys the idea that there is the actual perception of what is seen. So I am not just seeing. I am perceiving of what I'm seeing. Have you seen Jesus like that? Is my question tonight. Have you seen him like that? Because you can read stories about Jesus. You can read the Bible. You can go, yes, that's beautiful. But have you perceived and seen him like that? Because John says, that is the way that we see. We don't just see him. We don't just read the Bible and kind of, that's nice. I've done my duty for today. Lest your Bible, but Al-Qadah. I'm done with it. But I have seen and I perceive of what I see is the truth. And that is when this thing starts settling within your heart. Okay. Notice John's use of seen is, it's actual fact in the perfect tense, which signifies, yes, they saw Jesus, and that image continues to be present in their mind. I don't just see Jesus once. I see him everywhere. I see him every day in the Word. I see him. I look for him everywhere that I go. It's not just the once of, I'm saved. Thank you, Jesus. I'm on the glory train. I'm coming to you. Hallelujah. No, it is I'm looking, seeing him in everything. That is seeing. Now again, have you seen Jesus like that? We have seen it with discernment and have it in our mind's eye. That's exactly what the word says, to behold Jesus. To behold him. Behold him. In other words, you stand in awe every single day of who Jesus is and what he has done in and through your life and what he is doing around you. Have you seen Jesus like this? And I want to ask this evening that God will grant us this, this revelation tonight. Like Paul has prayed that the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened. That this revelation of the resurrected Christ, that you will see him. That it will not just be a story for you of a man that died on Calvary, but you will see that Jesus died for you. That he died for you personally. That he loves you so much, for God so loved this world. Then, and put your name in there. That he loved me. I pray that you see this through the word of truth, so that you too might have this image Literally inscribed in your mind's eye. That you constantly see him. It was Jonathan Edwards that says, Stamp eternity in my eyeballs. Stamp eternity in my eyeballs. I want to ask the Lord tonight that he will stamp Jesus in my eyeballs. That I will constantly be able to see him. So the next thing is, 
And this is very important. This is all important why we're going towards fellowship. Because if you don't see him like this, and if you don't hear him like this, you can't have fellowship. You'll see it now. Okay. It's, it's quite intense. So hold on. Say to the person next to you, this is going to get hardcore. <laughs> okay. So the hearing, so the heard part, it comes from akowo, which acoustics really comes from, to hear. means to hear, it's not just hearing. You know, I, I hear my wife, but I'm not hearing my wife, you know. <laughs> it's confession time. I hear her, but, but this one means to hear with attention. You know, I was in the army, and you could hear that corporal's voice. You hear that voice. I mean, there's 500 of us in that, but you hear his voice. You know, my troops will know my voice. You know, that's, I'm sure, how it is. We knew his voice. Van Weingart was his name. He was about yay high. He was the most parat man I've met in my entire life. But when he screamed, we heard with attention. Then we were ready for him. We stood by our beds or we did whatever the command was. There was an attention to this that we heard him. And this is what I'm asking you tonight. Are you hearing with attention? To hear with the ear an actual fact, this is weird. I know this is going to sound funny, but it's almost like you hear with your mind. You're not just hearing with your ear. You're hearing with your mind. You perceive what you hear, an understanding of what you hear. It's very deep. To hear with understanding. It's also in the perfect tense, which speaks of an abiding effect. Keep on hearing. Keep on listening. Keep on hearing the voice of the Father. Keep on seeing. It's not just a once-off thing. See, when John wrote this letter, some 60 years have passed since he had last heard the voice of Jesus. 60 years. So this is the first time, you know, he's writing about it. 60 years have passed when he heard the voice of Jesus. And yet the words of the Lord continued to be vivid truth in his heart. Bible says to bind the word of God within your heart. They used to bind scriptures on their arms and their foreheads for a reason because it would affect everything that you do and everything that you think about. But now we need to abide and bind it onto our hearts. Am I speaking foreign? <laughs> Am I? This is what he's desiring. He's desiring. This intimate fellowship with him. This intimacy with him. This is, this is what he's desiring. This is hard work, Stefan. Yes, it is. Imagine that you heard Jesus speak. Would his words not continue to reverberate and resonate in your mind for the rest of your days on earth? I heard the voice of the Lord. And that's how I got saved. And those words still resonate after 30 years in my mind. And I remember the moments that he's spoken to me, that I've heard his voice. I think they would, and they should. And 
And may I say this also, that we continue to desire to hear from Him. Continue to desire His voice. Not just like, you know, when He calls you and you, and you become a Christian. And then one day when you're in heaven, He says, oh, good to see you again. And after 80 years, I want to speak to you again and say, good and faithful servant. I want to hear Him. I want to listen with attention. Are you hearing like this? Are you listening to the voice of Jesus? Then in those two verses, you see the word proclaim. It's also mentioned twice. It says, I proclaim to you. Maybe if we read that quickly, verse 1, 2, and 3 quickly again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you. I want to look at that word, proclaim to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. What does it mean to proclaim something? It means to, it comes from the word apo and agelio, which means from declaring. It's basically a declaring. It's a declaring of something. It's a messenger. We, we get the word agelos or angel from that as well. Uh, and that's uh, apostles, really. But let me not go there now. But a messenger, one who speaks in place of one who has sent him. So I proclaim. This is what John is saying. I've got to continue to proclaim something. I have seen, I have heard, so I can't stop talking about this. This is Jeremiah all over when he says, it's like a fire that is shut up in my bones and I cannot stop speaking about it. When you have heard, when you have seen Jesus like this that I've just explained to you, then you can't stop proclaiming. The first thing that happened to me once I got saved was I started proclaiming to my friends in the Navy, in the base. I started speaking to them about Jesus. I couldn't stop proclaiming. It's a natural thing because he has done so much. It means proclaiming. It means to bring a message from any person or place. It means to bring a message. It suggests the thought of passing on to others that which has been given to them. So if you, you're sitting here tonight as a born-again believer, I want to speak to you that you need to proclaim what the Lord has done for you. God has done something within your heart. Start speaking it. He has given you something. Give it to others. And so in the present context, the idea that John announces, reports, or proclaims openly his testimony concerning Jesus Christ. He uses this in the present tense. In other words, it describes continuous activity. Again, he says, don't stop proclaiming. Don't stop talking about Jesus. In actual fact, when it's the worst, the most difficult times, that's when you speak about Jesus. Somebody summed it up like this and said, We are continually reporting to you which we saw and heard, the truth about Jesus. Or someone paraphrased it, We make it our business to proclaim. I make it my business to proclaim. Okay, 
what you've seen, what you've heard, you need to proclaim. It signifies the carrying of tidings or messages from the authentic source. To tell the truth from the authentic source. In proclaiming the truth about Jesus, John is following the pattern of his Lord. He says this in Matthew. Can we get that? Matthew 12. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will, there's that same word, proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Jesus. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. John is just saying, I'm just following in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus came to preach, to proclaim. We are not called to smother or hold back this life, but to proclaim it to others. I can't hold this in. I can't hold this back. That which Jesus has given me, that which I have seen, that which I have heard, I can't keep it back. Do not stay silent. The mission of the apostles was sharing that life with others. That was their mission. They wanted to proclaim this message that the Lord Jesus himself gave them. They continued to do that. We're not to call to dream up a new message. We just continue this message. The revelation comes from God and we are commanded to pass it on. Keep it going. Keep on sharing that which you have seen and which you have heard. What is this purpose? And this is what I want to get to tonight. What is the purpose of what you've seen, what you've heard, and what you're proclaiming? What is the purpose? Well, the fruit must be fellowship. And I want to go into this quickly. So in verse 3 of uh, 1 John chapter 1, it says this, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Then there's this little conjunction, this, this connection sentence, this little connection. So that, so that you too may have fellowship with us. So that. It's very important. It's very important. So that. The purpose clause explaining the purpose for its repetition. In other words, that little thing explains to us why all of these things were repeated. So that we can have fellowship. He's explaining to us tonight why are we doing all of these things? Why are we, why are we talking about the seeing and the hearing and the, proclaim, the proclaiming? I always say to people when we do Bible study, when you do a Bible study, use that sentence, that so that part. Always use that as an opportunity to slow down and ask yourself, so what? Ask yourself, what, what is the Lord saying to me here now? And I want to challenge you to go read those verses again and let the Lord speak to you from them. They're very rich. In so doing, we are learning to meditate on the Scripture. When we slow down there and say, so that we, we're asking this question, and what is that for? We're learning to meditate on the Scriptures and let it build within our hearts. John's goal for his readers was genuine fellowship. That was John's goal. 
John was asking this, that there will be true fellowship. And I'm, I'll explain to you why he's asking that as well. Some commentators see this verse as expressive of John's purpose of writing First John. Because he uses it so often, and he starts this whole book off with that, with the word fellowship. And lots of people say that 1 John was all about that. Now, I want to remind you why 1 John was written. So, some of you might have done our, our series called Fuel. It's on the 412 app. Who can remember why 1 John was written? Come on, this is participation. It's the house of the Lord. You can talk if you want to. Why was it? Why was 1 John written? Anybody? No? Everything, all scriptures for new believers, but... There's a specific reason why 1 John was written. They were combating Gnosticism. There was false teaching that was happening. And I want to say this. As I was preparing, the Lord said this to me. False teachers are there to break up fellowship. Because if you don't believe, you will not proclaim. And it will break up fellowship. False teachers, all they want to do is just break up fellowship. True biblical fellowship, as I'm going to show it to you right now. That's what false teachers, and that's what John is combating here. That's why he's telling them, guys, this is true fellowship. You can't have any other way. This is it. And false teachers are going to come and try and break it up. They're going to come and bring divisions. They're going to split the church because somebody is more woke than the other one. They will do that. You will have critical race theory on this side, and you will have those that are anti-vaxxers on that side. You will have them. And I'm not here to proclaim to you what you must do with the vaccine. I'm so over that. But can you see how Satan will use that stuff? The church is more worried that we will receive the mark of the beast my friend, if you have the seal of the Holy Spirit on you, you cannot have the mark of the beast on you. Go read Revelation. There's so many things that the false teachers just want to bring in. And if they can do that, they'll divide. And there will be no true fellowship. And John is warning against these things. We continue, he says, you too, the verse continues, he says, you too may have fellowship with us. How is that possible, John? How can I, in this generation, have fellowship with John? Because he says you can have fellowship with us. But John, there's a few people that never met you. There's <laughs> a few people that never seen you. But John says there's something that binds us all together. says clearly what John is saying here is describing something that is supernatural. John is saying we can have fellowship, all of us, and it's a supernatural thing. Only as we believe in Jesus Christ, which John historically verifies, can we have fellowship with the aged apostle. Christ is the common bond. And it's only Christ. We don't get together because of our race, our, 
our creeds, our theology, nothing but Christ. Christ binds us. That is the only place where we can have true fellowship. Outside of Christ, no one will have true fellowship. I promise you, you will just be divided. You can only be one in Christ. Nowhere else. Okay. Scary. When we believe as we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the light, from the dominion of Satan to God's dominion, from one former position in Adam, dead in our sins, to our new eternal position in Christ. This is the only place in covenant oneness with Jesus. It's about the covenant. And you and I cannot even keep that covenant. None of the covenants was kept by man. We couldn't. God enters into that covenant with His own Son, Jesus Christ. And we are partakers of that covenant purely because of what He has done. All believers share His life because He is now their life. And in so doing, they are united with each other. I am not a better version of my old self. I am a new creation in Jesus. And because I'm a new creation in Jesus, we are brought together in Christ. Read the book of Ephesians. It's all about being in Christ. That whole first chapter is about in Christ. In Christ. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, Paul says this, I have been crucified. I no longer love. He's talking about the old Paul there. He says, but the life that I now love, I live by faith in the Son of God who has died for me. Does this make sense? Anyone that does not believe in Jesus Christ cannot possibly have in common this new life in Him. You can't. This is so special. And I'm going to show you how the Greeks saw this. Before we jump there, can we quickly go to, yeah. So that you too may have. I want to look at that, ver that word. Oh, Stefan, you really unpacked this verse. Yes. There's so much in it. Listen to this. That word have, echo, means to possess and in, it's in the present tense also. It implies a continual state of fellowship. Again, I don't come into fellowship and go out of fellowship. I don't come into fellowship. I have a continual state of fellowship. Christ binds us together continually. It's not I have fellowship with one another. Why? Because of Jesus, the common bond. Remember that. Something interesting that we see in... Yeah, no, let me not go down there. I promised myself I won't go down there. I won't. I'll stick with this. This is good. John's point is that his readers may continue to adhere to the full truth in Christ, could continue to enjoy the full fruit of this revelation. In other words, remember, and this is the point I want to make, that false teachers were on the prowl, 
And their lies and falsehood would have the effect of disturbing believers' fellowship with one another and with God the Father and His Son. It would disturb that. That's what they want to do. And John was anxious that his readers would not allow their false teachers to, to disrupt this mutual fellowship that they had with and by perverting the truth of Jesus Christ. So he doesn't want them to be disrupted, but to continue, to continually have fellowship with one another. See, this truth binds us together, and if false teachers can pervert this truth, they break up fellowship. They break up fellowship. So the, the, the application for us today as believers is to stay close to the Word of God. Stay close to the Word of God so that they might be able to discern error. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, just that one verse, I want to read that. Now these Jews were more noble than, these, than those in Thessalonica. They received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were true. They were called the Bereans. And I want to call you to be a Berean, even when we preach, that you will go out to check out the Scripture with eagerness and see if these things are true for yourself. Go check it out. So the word fellowship, I want to end with this tonight. The word fellowship from, comes from the word koinonia, from koinonos. That which is in common, that which is in common, belonging to several or which several are partakers of. That's what it means. I belong to several. We come together and we a whole. I belong to you and you belong to me. It's a scary thought. It means to share in common or to have communion. In actual fact, Webster's dictionary calls it, it defines it as intimate fellowship. It denotes the active participation, not the passive. Did you hear that? Not the passive participation, the active participation or sharing in what one has in common with others. So an inactive Christian is really a sinning Christian. You're sinning if you are inactive. Because Jesus said, I came to serve. And I just want to follow what Jesus is doing. This is not our command. This is not the elders and the deacons' command. This is the Word of God. I'm just giving you the Word of God. Koinonia, in this case, is a very special kind of sharing. Entering into that which John and the other apostles experienced with Jesus. Believers have fellowship vertically with the triune God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, we can have it horizontally. It's the sign of the cross, man. We first have it with Him. And because we have this, we have this fellowship with Him. We can have this fellowship. We cannot have this fellowship before we didn't have this fellowship. 
You must have this fellowship first, with Him first. The vertical fellowship proceeds and makes possible the horizontal fellowship between believers. So to sum it up, the fact and experience of Christian fellowship only exists because God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son and by His Spirit has established a grace. He has actually... He has, he, has, he has made a new covenant, a new relation. He has caused a new relationship with humankind. Those who believe the gospel of the resurrection are united in the Spirit, by the Spirit, through the Son to the Father. The relation leads to the reality of relatedness and thus to an experienced relationship, a, a communion. I want to tell you what it isn't. Fellowship isn't community. Whoa, 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 whoa. We call our communities communities. Give me out. I don't want Andrew to phone me tomorrow morning. The word community is a modern-day concept where individuals make voluntary decision to join a community. In the Jewish mind, it was never like that. Not even, actually, not even in the Greek mind. I'll show you now. It wasn't like that. We belong to one another. It was rather communion than community. So fellowship is not just community. Me deciding to join you, and then I'll leave you, and then I go. No, no, no. You are part of this, if you like it or not. As a Christian, you're part of this. You're part of this. Boots and all. That moment we said, yes, Lord, you're part of this. By believing Jesus, you're part of this. Yo. And let me say this. Forgive now, because you'll have to face all of these that are part of your communion in heaven anyway for eternity. So deal with it now. Because you're going to face them for eternity on that side. Okay, there's going to be a half an hour silence. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's sometimes for the woman. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Whoa. So listen to this. Let's get back. The Christian life is a call not to be isolated, but an active participant with other believers in this new life. You can't live in isolation. A Christian, the Bible says this, a man that isolates himself seeks his own desires. You're selfish. Proverbs says, a man that isolates himself seeks his own desires. You can't be an isolated Christian. It's a misnomer. You cannot have that. So the general background, how the, how the Greeks understood this word. Okay. And I'm almost done, guys. So in the colloquial Greek of the New Testament period, koinonia was used, used in several ways. It was used of a business partnership where two or more persons share the same business and are thus closely connected to work. Okay. And it was used of marriage, of the shared life of two persons, a man and a woman together. Further, it was sometimes used of a perceived relatedness to a god, a Greek god, Zeus most probably. Finally, it was used to refer 
to the spirit of generous sharing in contrast to the spirit of selfish acquiring. So even the Greeks believed that we need to share. It's not just about acquiring, it's about sharing. We teach our kids that very principle, sharing is caring. Okay, maybe we should listen to it a little bit more as adults sometimes. So when one considers the secular Greek of koinonia to describe the marriage bed, one begins to get a glimmer of the incredible privilege we as finite believers have to be in communion with the infinite holy God. When I start looking at that, I'm saying, Lord, I'm in an intimate relationship with you, which also denotes that I'm in an intimate relationship with you, with every single one. Is not fellowship with God, in a sense, a return to the idyllic, sinless setting of the Garden of Eden? We want to go back to that moment where God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. That was perfect fellowship. And Satan, as a snake, tempted Adam to sin, and with that sin, that perfect union, that communion was broken. Now, through the redemptive work of Jesus, the second Adam, Jesus, believers can walk with God again. So to reiterate an ending, fellowship in Scripture does not refer to social gatherings, which is what many think of today as fellowship. It is not even community, as I just said. There is no such thing as individualism in Christianity. No such thing. Koinonia, fellowship, is never about individuals. It's about us. It's always about us. The Bible says that we are baptized into one body. Koinonia is translated sharing or participation in, in 1 Corinthians, last two verses. 1 Corinthians, it says this, A cup of blessing that we bless is not a, part, is not a participation. There, that's the word, koinonia, in the blood of Christ. The bread that we bake, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? That's koinonia. That's fellowship. Same word that is used there. And then it's also used in 2 Corinthians. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what koinonia, partnership, has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship, there he uses that word, has light with darkness? Fellowship. Maybe close your eyes quickly. Fellowship. Between, it's between brothers and sisters in Christ in which... We share life. Fellowship, we are mutually committed to one another. Fellowship, we are mutually accountable to one another. Fellowship, we believe the same truth. Fellowship, we are committed to the same mission, to the same vision, and to the same values. Fellowship. We are in love with the same Lord. Fellowship. 
we are trusting the same God. Fellowship. We are proclaiming the same gospel.